you would mind standing with me if you can. We are working our way through the Bible verse by verse. We are in Acts chapter 9 verse 10 this morning. And this is the uh, radical change coming to Saul of Tarsus who is about ready to become Paul. Now there was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias... Here I am, Lord, he said. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire of the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once. And he rose and was baptized. And when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples of Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ, the Messiah, in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem? And has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests. But Saul increased, increased all the more in strength, and confounded the Jews, and dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Messiah. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've left this for us, that we might see you changing a man and showing us how you want to change us more to be like you. Send your Holy Spirit to teach us now. Speak to us. Send us, Lord, into the world. Do that, we ask in Jesus' name. And all of God's people agreed by saying, Amen. Amen. You may be seated, please. Well, I love the old story of uh, the Tennessee farmer who decided to visit the big city with his family. It's an old story. You may have heard it. But uh, he loaded up the kids in the back of the pickup truck, and he and his wife drove down into beautiful Nashville. First time they'd ever seen it. They'd been up in the hills for a long, long time. And he pulled up in front of what was the Hilton, and he was amazed at the size of it. And he said, come on in, let's go look. And so they walked in, and they were astounded. Here's running water fountains inside. They'd never seen the inside of a hotel before. And uh, they split up and went in different directions. He walked over to a couple of brass doors. Never seen an elevator before. 
no knobs on it. He couldn't get in it, so he just stood back and waited a minute. And a little old lady came walking up with a cane, and she walked into the, the elevator doors open, and she walked in, and they shut. And he watched the little lights changing up above. And all of a sudden, the doors opened again, and a beautiful young lady came out. <laughs> and he yelled, Son, go get your mama. <laughs> That's the kind of radical change that we're going to see happen to Paul. Saul of Tarsus becomes Paul, the apostle here in this section. It is a radical change. The record of the conversion of Saul, but I also want you to notice that Ananias is really the hero of this part of the book of Acts. Now, if you're just joining us, Acts is this wonderful history, spirit-filled history of the very first Christian church in the world. And it started in Jerusalem because that's where Jesus said it would start. He said to wait there, told his disciples to wait in the city of Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit had come, which he did on Pentecost. And it changed people that the Holy Spirit coming upon them, overflowing them, changed their radically. 120 people were speaking in unknown tongues, and a huge crowd gathered from all over Jerusalem. And Peter took that opportunity to preach for the first time. And it was a magnificent, spirit filled message. 3,000 people got saved that day. Only a little while later, he did the same thing again up on the Temple Mount, and another 2,000 people got saved. So the little group of 120 people suddenly exploded into more than 5,000 Christians in the city of Jerusalem. Well, the church grew, it added other leaders, one of them by the name of Stephen, uh, began to preach, and he got arrested because he used the name of Jesus on the Temple Mount, and he was accused of blasphemy, speaking against the holiness of God. He was found guilty, and he was sentenced to death for blasphemy, and he was stoned to death with Saul of Tarsus, the person we're looking at mainly this morning, is watching, and he's consenting in his death. Well, that led to Saul wanting to go to other places to capture all these Christians. He was an extremely rigid Jew rabbi trained by with the most conservative rabbi in Jerusalem in the first century. His name was Gamaliel. And so he began to bring Christians in, and they were all found guilty of blasphemy, and they were being stoned to death. He was a murderer. Well, he decides to in this chapter, chapter 9, he decides to go outside of the country of Israel and, and he heads to Syria. And he's going north from Jerusalem to Syria, Damascus, about 140 miles. And Damascus is, uh, according to the UN, the oldest inhabited city in the world, continually inhabited city uh, that goes back 6,000 years. So he's going there, and on the road to Damascus, most of you know the story, Jesus knocked him off his horse, and he's struck blind, and he cannot see a thing. And that's where we 
break into the story, he is led into Damascus by the hand, by the men that were with him, and he is staying in a Jew's house. And that's where we go starting into uh, this story. Now, when he was struck on the road, he, he, he asked two questions. The Lord spoke to him. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? <laughs> so at least he was smart enough to realize whoever it was had knocked him down and he couldn't see a thing. And then he asked the second most important question, what do you want me to do? Every one of us need to ask that same question. Who are you, Lord? Who is your Lord? Who is your master? Are you still running your own life? You think it's yours to do whatever you'd like? Or have you come to realize that God wants control of your life? And so that's what Saul is going through right now. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. So he knew this was, in fact, the one, the Messiah. And then he asked, as we all should, what do you want me to do, Lord? What do you want me to do with my life? I'm giving it back to you. You tell me what you want me to do. And that's when he said, go into Damascus and I'll show you. He didn't tell him what was going to happen. He just said the next step, which for most of us who have been walking with the Lord for a while, we figured out that's usually the way God does stuff. I'd like him to just tell me what I'm going to be doing for the next five years, but I'm lucky if I know what I'm doing tomorrow. I have a plan for tomorrow, but it may not be the one that God has for me. But the difference is to listen and ask him. That's what's happening to Ananias here. This section breaks up into three parts. The first part, 10 through 16, is God is calling. Now, we're looking at Ananias and Paul. And I'll use Paul and Saul interchangeably because they're actually the same name. Saul is his Hebrew name, Saul, if you were speaking Hebrew, and Paul, Paulus, is his Greek name. So that's where we are. God calls Ananias. Ananias goes, and uh, there's a radical change. I just realized, ah, I feel better. Um, Okay, so here we are. Verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Jesus appeared to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, and notice his answer, here I am, Lord. So Dr. Luke emphasizes that this man is a simple follower of Jesus. He's not one of the leaders of the church in Damascus. He's just like you just a normal person that loves God and is trying to grow in that. Ananias uh, is going to be used greatly. In fact, he's going to bring the Holy Spirit onto Paul's life, and Paul will write more than a third of the New Testament. So you and I are watching and we're recipients of the fruit of this man, Ananias. Now, his Hebrew name is Hananias. Uh, Hananiah literally means God has favored. 
It was the name of one of the uh, Jewish boys in the book of Daniel. Daniel 1.6, his name was changed. It means grace. He received favor from God. And really, this entire section we're looking at is about the grace of God. Probably my favorite topic. The grace of God is favor with God that you and I don't deserve. We don't earn. It's not because we have such sterling character and we do such wonderful things. No, no, it's solely a move of God because he's benevolent, he's loving. God so loved the world that he sent his son, right? So Ananias' name literally means God's graciousness or grace from God. So he is, uh, is originally, he was renamed to Shadrach. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are the three boys in Daniel chapter 1 who were thrown in the fiery furnace. But that's the name. God's grace is favored. So, first of all, notice that Jesus knows Ananias by name. Jesus knows you by name. And he will call you by name. I've never heard an audible voice of God, but he's spoken to me quietly in my heart over and over again since I surrendered to him years ago. So Jesus knew Ananias, John 10:3, to him the doorkeeper and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. That would be you. I just realized that was a terrible pun. E W. Anyway, <laughs> called you by name, <laughs> and leads them out. John ten twenty six. My sheep. I'm sorry, that was a bad pun. I hate puns. It just happened. John ten twenty seven. My sheep hear my voice. Jesus said, and I know them, and they follow me. So Ananias was well known. Secondly, Ananias is an unsung hero of faith. Uh, He appears at a defining moment in history, the history of the church, and uh, the man he prays for uh, becomes perhaps the most important human being on the planet after Jesus Christ because of his contribution of writing all the letters, the epistles that he wrote, and then actually going all over the Levant, that area around the Mediterranean Sea, and then going uh, into other areas, uh, Croatia and and above that. We believe he actually made it to England. The Brits claimed that he was there. And so uh, it it actually spread through this man, Paul, to probably you and I, excuse me, that you and I uh, have a, a, a heritage that goes back and traced somewhere to Europe or maybe even South America, because the gospel went from America to South America. Uh, Right now, Brazil is the second uh, most sending missionary country in the world, only second to the United States in the number of missionaries that go out every year. So the the gospel is going out because of Paul being obedient. And, And this guy, Ananias, who comes and appears, comes onto the stage... He does this little short stint here, and then we never hear of him again, except Paul will mention him in Acts chapter 22 when he's retelling this story. 
but this is the only place that he appears. God has this man in Damascus. So uh, his background, uh, Paul describes in Acts 22 as he's retelling the story. And he said, then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, so he was into God's word, he knew it well, having a good testimony, uh, a witness, he gave his testimony, uh, a, a witness or an evidence, he would tell people about how God has affected his life with all the Jews who dwelt there. So he is well thought of by Jews. Even though he was a Christian, he was well thought of by the Jewish people there. Uh, he had um, the evidence of God working in him, and it was attractive to other people. He loved his neighbor. He treated people with respect. He tried to help anyone that he could. He was in the right place at the right time with the right attitude of heart. And when God called him, God called an ordinary man to help change the world. He will do the same with you. You can be part of God's plan to change the world. Just have to ask him. So, he saw in a vision. He received a vision. Actually, you might say it's a double vision because both Ananias and Paul had visions. Saul, Paul, saw that Ananias was going to come and Ananias saw that he was going to lay hands on Paul. So God didn't want any confusion and uh, so he wants everyone to know what he's about to do. So, I love it. God says, I want you to go to a certain street, to a certain Jew's house, find a certain blind man who had a vision, and that man named Ananias, that would be you, Jesus is saying, is going to pray for him to be healed. It's all a setup. It's a God incidence. It's not a coincidence. This is God moving people into the right place at the right time just like he does in your life. For a believer, I don't believe there are any coincidences. They're all God incidences. Now, we may not be tuned in, and we might miss it and find out later that that was an opportunity and you, and you didn't take it, or I've done that over and over again. But this is a God incidence, and he is going to his house. Verse 11, so the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of a Jew named Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. Now, Straight Street is still the main thoroughfare through, excuse me, through old Damascus, Syria. Uh, it is uh, the only really straight street in town. And this is a picture of the inside of Ananias' house today. This is what it looks like. You notice in the center there he's praying for Saul. He's going to be healed. On the left he's going to be let down in a basket. We'll see next week. And it's the story of Ananias. Now the, the next picture is of what the church looks like in the basement of Ananias' house. So he began to teach a Bible study 
we assumed, downstairs, and pretty soon it turned into a church. You can visit it today. That's what it looks like if you go to Damascus today. And uh, there's always a crowd of people there. And uh, this is Judas's house, and that's Straight Street down beneath. This is the traditional house. We don't know for certain, but we believe it is. Ananias were much more certain about. But this is the house that... Saul was staying in with Judas, the Jew. So evidently, Judas was connected uh, with the high priest back in Jerusalem because he, Saul was sent to his house, and it was from there he was going to work to find Christians and arrest them and take them back bound to Jerusalem to be killed. So notice it says, For behold... He is praying. I think that's very significant because Jews pray all the time, but this is a different kind of prayer. I I grew up in a denomination where we said the same prayers over and over again and and, uh, just not to leave you wondering, I I grew up in a Catholic home, Irish Catholic home, gazillions of kids, and... uh, My mom prayed the rose. She wore out rosaries for me. (laughs) And um, by the grace of God, it finally took at 26 years old. But, you know, she lost a lot of sleep, I'm sure. But my point is that those are the same prayers that you just repeat over and over again. And I learned them as a little boy, and I repeated them. But Jews do the same thing. Twice a day, they pray. Pray the Shema. Shema Israel, Akkad Adonai. Hear, O Israel, the Lord God is one God. But there are 18 other prayers they are supposed to pray that are very much like Catholicism. They, they pray the same prayers that they learned when they were little. This is different. Paul may be praying for the first time in his life using his own words. And that's growth in the Christian life, is to not just repeat prayers you've heard other people say, but you actually talk to God, conversation with God. That's what prayer means, that you have a conversation. Not that there's anything wrong with repeating prayers that you've learned, but I want you to see the difference. And so here, uh, he is experiencing, Paul is experiencing prayer, perhaps for the first time in his lifetime. And uh, he's no doubt repenting. God, please forgive me. Now I know that you are the Messiah and I've been killing Christians. But I've been, I'm sorry, I got another bad pun. I've been praying, P-R-E-Y-I-N-G on Christians. And now I'm praying, P-R-A-Y, that you would forgive me. Sorry. They just keep coming, don't they? Verse 12. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand in so that he might receive his sight. God says to Ananias, I'm giving Paul a vision, just like you received, but this one is of you, Ananias, coming to speak to him. So he's prepared both men, and, uh, but Ananias is not too excited about it because Saul has a pretty bad reputation. Verse 13. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard about, excuse me, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. 
Maybe Ananias wanted to make sure that they were talking about the same <laughs> guy. This is, this is uh, the same guy that uh, is killing people. It, it sounds like a Mission Impossible statement to Ananias. And he's trying to walk his way out of it. What, walk straight into the hands of the guy that came here to arrest Christians and I'm going to announce that I'm a Christian? How's that going to work out? So, but I, I don't want you to miss. Saul is the, is the guy he's worried about, but Ananias is giving God advice. Now, I'm sure none of you have ever done that, but I've been guilty of that a lot. Uh, God, has anyone told you what kind of guy Saul is? <laughs> and, and the next verse is even funnier. And here he has authority. Really? Lord, Saul has authority. God must have thought, wow, authority. I didn't realize that. Thanks for letting me know, Ananias. <laughs> A couple of angels are elbowing each other saying, hey, Ananias, you're teaching the creator of the cosmos about authority. <laughs> How's that going to work out? But the Lord said to him, enough already, go. <laughs> For he is a chosen vessel. He's a what? He's a chosen vessel. That's what Paul would write in Romans about all Christians. You, believer, are a chosen and elected vessel to be held in the master's hand is the way he says it. God has a plan for you that is very much tied to reaching the whole world because that's God's goal. Go into all the world, Mark 16, 15, and preach the gospel. You are called and I am called to go. It, it might be across the street. It might be across the city across the state, might be to another country. That's location, and that's the Holy Spirit's job. But you and I are called to go. Go, speak to others. Now, God is very patient <laughs> with his children, uh, but he finally ends this conversation with go. It, it's impossible to miss the call of God. Uh, throughout the Bible, he calls people to go to those in need, need of salvation, and uh, go reach, teach, encourage your neighbors, the nations. There's a great truth here. One of the essential defining characteristics of a believer, of God's people, is that they go to those in need, no matter the danger, no matter the cost to them personally. When you know it's God, you go. And God will get you there and get you back safely. Chosen vessel of election. God chose him to convey his grace to all men. When we read the gospel and when we read the epistles of Paul, that's exactly what he's doing. Purpose, he has a, a distinct purpose for Saul. And God is revealing it to Ananias. Uh, to bolster Ananias' courage so that God sees the end. God sees the end for your life, too. And, and I'm so thankful that he doesn't look at us as what we are right now. He knows what he's going to make you to be. 
He's going to change you. He is in the process of changing every one of you. You cannot escape it. It's happening here this morning. Every time I read a scripture, it happens to you. What? Faith comes by hearing the word of God. You can't stop it from penetrating your heart and mind. Oh, you can not surrender to God and fight it all away into eternity, but why is that something to be tried? Why would you try and ignore God when his plan for your life is exactly what you were born for? Whatever you think you want to be, take it to the master and ask him, is this what you want me to be doing right now, Lord? Am I serving you in a way that you planned for me? So he sees Saul as clearly in the future as he sees you in your future. This is a very personal set of scriptures. Not what they currently are. Not who you currently are. But who you will be when the Holy Spirit has filled you to completion. So this is what Saul is going to do. He's going to go to Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. He's going to bear the name of Jesus to these three groups of people. And we'll read through the rest of the book of Acts. That's exactly what he did. Verse 16, for I will show him how many things that he must suffer for my name's sake. Suffer? Suffer? This is a prophecy that he's giving to Ananias. So Ananias might, I think it's so Ananias might be a little more uh, open to the idea of talking to Paul. Oh, he's going to suffer? Well, he's been making other people suffer. Suffer? Saul? Great, Lord, I'll go. (laughs) Verse 17. So Ananias went on his way, and he entered the house. Ananias, the one you just saw. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias quits arguing, and he obeys, and as soon as he does, he calls Saul, who he was afraid to talk to his brother. And he was right. He is his brother. You're sitting amongst brothers and sisters here this morning. We are the family of God. So he is going to be filled now with the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit has been convicting Saul. The Holy Spirit was beside him, but now he's going to be over him. The Greek preposition is epi, E-P-I. So Saul is going to go through a transformational process here right in front of us. And being filled under the control of the Holy Spirit is very important. Now, I'll openly say that this is a battleground for some theologians. It's not for me, so uh, I'll just tell you the way I've read it. But, and you can disagree with me, um, but when we get to heaven... You'll know. (laughs) So Saul is on the road to Damascus, gets knocked down, and he says, who are you, Lord, master, ruler? And he opened himself up to Jesus being Lord of his life. 
Then he said, what do you want me to do? And Jesus said, go into Damascus, I'll show you when you get there. And so he's doing that. But now something greater is happening to him. Now, some people say, well, he got, he got saved on the road to Damascus. And others say, no, no, he, he gets saved in Judas's house here. I think both are true. I, I had a conversion experience that was boom, August 13th, 1972. I can tell you the place, the time, exactly how it happened. And it all took place in less than 24 hours. Saul's life, it looks to me, you tell me what you think after you studied a little bit, that it took three days for all this to work into Saul's life. Why? Well, I'm a very stubborn person, but it only took me one day. <laughs> saying that Saul may have been the most stubborn person around, and the Holy Spirit is slowly pulling him in deeper and deeper into this relationship. And Saul is having to let go of control, the same problem that we all have. We all are control freaks. I want to control my own life. But finally, after three days, he's ready. And uh, notice there are no apostles here. There's, there's nobody in this place except a Jew, the owner of the home, and Ananias, who is a believer, a very common believer, just a normal guy. And then Saul is going to change the world because... This normal guy was obedient. What might God do through you if you're obedient with your life? It's, it's very interesting. So here's the result. 18, immediately there fell from his eyes, Paul's eyes, something like scales. And he received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized. So Scales, this word is only used here in, in the whole New Testament. In a Greek version of the Old Testament, uh, it's also used in Leviticus 11, verse 9. And there it describes fish with scales. So we're not sure exactly what this is, but I can give you an idea. That is an eye of someone who looked at a nuclear blast. And that's the, that opaqueness of the outer part of the eye. This is not the same as a cataract. That is inside the eye. The lens itself turns opaque. This is like the outer, this is like a windshield of your car. The, the outer clear layer is, is shattered in, uh, in chemical terms. And it, it has created this, it's like a contact lens on Saul's eyes, evidently. Now, we know inside that we have rods and cones, and where else can you go to church and have a biology lesson like this? The little uh, dark spots are the cones. The, the dark, looks like a rod, is the rod. And uh, those are the receptors for light in the back of your eye. But this seems to be something that's happened to Saul in the very front of his eyes. So um, the Rogers uh, can't de detect color, uh, but the cones can. And uh, the rods are only sense the amount of light that's getting through. And make sure you close your eyes if you get too much light. 
So um, there's a chromophore, and I could bore you to death with the chemistry, but just take my word for it that um, this isn't something you recover from. The people that were in Japan and Nagasaki and Hiroshima um, who looked at the blast when they heard it, they, they turned and looked. They were blinded for the rest of their life. Our body doesn't have the ability to, to change that. So, um, but there's another way to look at these scales on Paul's eyes. Um, the scales fell from my eyes when I received Jesus. I, I couldn't see anything spiritual. I didn't believe there was anything spiritual. If you can smell it, taste it, feel it, hear it, then it's real. No. And then when you come to a relationship with God, all of a sudden you realize there, there's another whole world out there of things that can't be described by mechanical means, by the five senses. We're just not physically capable of sensing the things of the Spirit until you are born again. That's what Jesus told to Nicodemus, and we won't take a lot of time on that this morning, but uh, that's what's going on. He could see when these like, contact lenses came off his eyes, the, this... Uh, and he was able to be, get up and baptized. He rose and was baptized. Uh, where was he baptized? In the house? Probably not. Probably in the river that ran right by Judas's house. I showed you. Um, Damascus has two rivers that run through it. Uh, they're really quite beautiful. Uh, Abna, A-B-A-N-A, that's that one. And the second one, Phosphor. Now, um, actually, the city itself is a beautiful city because of these rivers that flow through it, and the Abna is the largest one. So it's cold because the sources of its river is from the mountains of Lebanon, about 25 miles northwest of Damascus. And um, this is the same river that uh, Elisha sent a, a missionary to Nahum in the Old Testament, 2 Kings 5.12. You might remember the story. Uh, Naaman had leprosy, and so he came to Israel to ask the prophet Elisha to pray for him. And he said, you, you don't need me to pray for you. Just go wash yourself in the Jordan River. And he was insulted, Naaman. Well, Jordan, that dirty old river? We've got a lot better rivers in Damascus, he said. Well, a lot cleaner ones, they really are. But his servant said to him, well, why don't you just try it? Well, I don't want to try it. It's a dirty river. He said, well, if he had asked you to go climb a mountain, you would have done it, right? If he asked you to go slay a dragon, you would have tried to do it. If he asked you to swim the sea, you would have tried it. But he asked you something very simple. Just go wash yourself seven times. And he did. And he came out completely healed of leprosy. Something impossible in that day. Obedience again. So we have this, uh, that's the Abara. That's probably where he was baptized. It's just very close to the house. Verse 19. And when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples in Damascus. Remember, Saul's been fasting for three days, so uh, he's strengthened, and he stays with these disciples. Now, have you ever wondered what uh, Saul looked like 
we, we don't have a scriptural picture of him, but there is a letter or a, a small book that was written in 160, not too long after this story that we're reading. And it's called The Acts of Paul and Thedka, and you can find it online. Um, but again, I, I, I caution you, it's not scripture, but it's the only description we have, and, and uh, I think it's worth looking at. In, in the Coptic text, it says, he was a man about middle in size, moderate height, and his hair was scanty, and his legs were a little crooked, and his knees were projecting. He had knobby knees, okay? And he had large eyes, and his eyebrows met, a unibrow, and his nose was somewhat long, and he was full of grace and mercy. I love this last section. At one time he seemed like a man, and at another he seemed like an angel. Paul had mercy and grace applied to his life. He's the most notorious criminal, murdering Christians all over. He knows that God forgave him and he didn't deserve it. Do you know that about yourself? That that's God's grace working in you and, and working in me. We none of us deserve it. 20 and immediately preached the Messiah in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. He begins to preach that he believed that Jesus was the Messiah. This, this is the creed. This is the credo in Latin. What is your creed? What do you believe? It's important. It's, in fact, your testimony, your witness. We used to sing around here a, a great song. Uh, and the first line is, I believe in Jesus. And I asked the guys to... Uh, put it up so you can just contemplate these words and think about what you believe, what it is that you hold about Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus? Who are you, Lord? And what do you want me to do? I believe in Jesus. Second line, I believe he is the Son of God. I believe he died and he rose again. I believe he paid for us all. I believe he's here now, standing in our midst with the power to heal and the grace to forgive. That's my creed. That's what I believe. That's what the Latin word credo means. I believe. I believe in Jesus. And I believe he is the Son of God. Matthew 10, 32, Jesus said, Whoever therefore shall confess me before men, will I confess before my Father, which is in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father in heaven. That doesn't mean we all have to go and be open to our preachers. But on the other hand, we need to openly admit who Jesus is to us. It's important. It's your testimony, your witness. Then all who heard, they were amazed, verse 21, and said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on the name, this name in Jerusalem, 
and has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest, so they might be murdered. They might be stoned to death. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Hudson Taylor, the uh, China Inland Mission founder, said, I used to ask God if he would come and help me, but then I began to ask if I could come and help him. (laughs) But then, finally... I ended by asking God to do his own work, but through me. I I think that's the summary of everything that we're looking at. We, We often, this side of heaven, do not know what a simple act, a simple word said to somebody, what it might do in view of eternity. Most of us have heard of the Christian writer John Bunyan. He wrote a little book called Pilgrim's Progress, the second most published book ever on the planet. So it got around. 400 years ago he wrote it after hearing two women talking about their relationship with God. They didn't know he could hear them. They were outside his jail window. And and that witness changed him. So... Bunyan was saved because they overheard someone talking. Noah obeyed, and the world was saved. Moses obeyed, and the Israelites went free. David obeyed, and Goliath was defeated. Gideon obeyed, and again the enemy destroyed. And when Jesus obeyed, sin died and salvation became possible for all. You just never know what your obedience might do. I want to close with a story from Max Lucado, my favorite Christian author. He actually was a missionary in Brazil for five years before he came back and became a pastor in San Antonio, Texas. But uh, he knew a missionary there and he writes about it in his book called Six Hours, One Friday. A missionary in Brazil who discovered a tribe of Indians, natives, in a remote part of the jungle. They lived near a large river. The tribe was in need of medical attention. A contagious disease was ravaging the tribe. People were dying daily. A hospital was really not far away, but it was across a river. The Indians would not cross it because they believed the river was inhabited by evil spirits and to enter its water would mean certain death. The missionary explained to them how he had crossed the river and he was unharmed, but they weren't impressed. He then took them to the river bank. He placed his hand in the water, moved the water around. They still wouldn't go in. He walked out into the water up to his waist and splash water on his face. Nobody would move. They were still afraid to go. Finally, he dove into the river, held his breath, and swam all the way to the other side, and came up. And he raised a triumphal fist on the other side into the air. He had entered the water and escaped. It was then that the Indians broke into a cheer. 
and followed him across. Isn't that what Jesus did? He entered the river of death and came out on the other side so that we might no longer fear death. No longer fear death, but find eternal life in him. How deep and wide is the river you're afraid to cross? Hmm. It's not too deep for Jesus. No matter what pit you're in, it's not too deep. Jesus will go and rescue you. Would you stand, please, and we'll pray together. Thank you, Lord, that you so loved the world, that you came and gave your life, paid the price that we should all pay for our own sin, but you did it for us. And most of us in this room understand that, Lord, and we thank you for that. But we pray for any who are here this morning that are not following you, that aren't walking with you. And we pray that you would give them the grace that you've given us to surrender. Christians, please pray. So I wonder if there's someone here this morning, maybe you're visiting for the first time, or maybe you've been here before, and God is speaking to you. You know you've never surrendered your life to him, and you've never asked him to forgive your sins. This moment is for you. We wouldn't do anything to embarrass you. But if you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven, who wouldn't? If you'd like to know that you're going to spend eternity with God, if you're ready to surrender your life to God, would you let me know you're ready by looking up at me and raising your hand? I won't embarrass you. I'll just acknowledge it. God bless you, young lady right in front of me. And you, sir? Anyone over here God is speaking to? Yes, in the back row. And you, young lady? God bless you. Anyone over here God is speaking to? Way in the back. God bless you and you, sir. I missed your hand. God bless you. Behind the sound booth, two of you. If I missed your hand, don't worry, God didn't. Those of you that raised your hand, would you please pray out loud with the rest of us? We're just going to ask God to forgive our sins. We're going to do it with you to make it easy. So everybody, please say out loud, Lord Jesus, I surrender. I give you my life. Please forgive my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can serve you from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.